So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all fullness of the deity lives in bodily, bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put over when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your, of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indefinite indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions of their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in the restraining sensual indulgence. Growing up, um, I led myself to believe that I was inadequate. I went to a selective school, but I was one of the dumbest in the grade. I was decent in many sports, but I was never really good enough to excel. I graduated with a uni degree, but where peers flourished and blossomed, I barely managed to drag my body across the finish line. But even though that I was, as a friend put it, the cream of the crop, I would compare myself to elites, leaving myself feeling as if I was not good enough. This ate me up on the inside, it greatly lowered my confidence, and it would even sometimes immobilize me. But the truth of the matter is, I believe for many of us, this is what we think and we feel about about the Christian faith. My life is a mess compared to those around me. How can I be a Christian? My children are uncontrollable. How can I come to church? 
I feel so distant from God, how can I read my Bible? I have fallen so deep into dark thoughts and emotions, how will God ever accept me like these? Thoughts like these leaves us feeling inadequate, unworthy, insecure, and makes us question the faith altogether. And I'm not going to lie, I've had these feelings and thoughts many times before as well. But if this is you, if you've ever experienced these thoughts or you're battling with them right now, can I say the bit of the Bible that we just read is fuel that is going to keep us going till the end. Well, we're continuing on in our series, Confident Christianity, uh, on the book of Colossians, where we're learning in an age of podcasts, spirituality, and schools of thought, how we can have unwavering confidence in Jesus Christ in our current ways of our culture. And today, we have reached what many people believe is the climax of the letter. What Paul has written all before is going to culminate all into one command as he calls out the false teaching that threatens the Colossian church, reminding us of one truth that's never to be forgotten. So Paul starts off by capping off everything he has written before. In the last two weeks, we've been reminded that Jesus is supreme over creation, and through his death and resurrection, he has brought us into fullness with God. We've also learned that it is Paul's goal to present everyone mature and see that everyone would continue in their faith. And as we come into our passage today, Paul instructs the Colossians that just as they have received Jesus, continue to walk in him. But this isn't like any other walk. Paul isn't saying to walk beside Jesus like how you would walk beside a friend. He isn't even to say walking, to walk holding his hand like how you would walk with a child when crossing a road. Paul says to walk in him as if you were a tree with roots so deep in the ground that you would stand so tall after the most violent of storms or like a skyscraper built to be unfazed by the most strongest of earthquakes. Paul's instructions is to entrench and saturate our lives in Jesus. To not let anything we do, whatever we say, to not be shaped uh, by the person of Jesus. Paul is saying that everything that we do in our lives will be molded by the person of Jesus. But why is it so important to Paul and for the Colossians to be so deeply rooted and walk in Christ? Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. This is what's really at the heart of why Paul was writing this letter. The Colossian church was facing false teaching called synchronism. Now, like how people would mix different colors to create new colors, Christians were melding and mixing practices of Jewish legalism and Gnostic mysticism with Christianity, turning the Christian faith into something that it was not. Christians in the church uh, was preaching that Jesus alone is inadequate for their salvation. 
and that Christians must do more if they wanted a fuller experience and a fuller relationship with God. But the reason why Paul instructs them to see to it, to make sure, to make it their mission to not be caught up in all of this is because what Paul has been hammering down from the very start of his letter. In verse 9, Paul writes, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Paul reminds them to not think for one moment that Christ is inadequate. Jesus is fully God. Everything was created in him and for him. And he is the one that brings us into perfect relationship with God. Christians are perfect in God's eyes and nothing will make God see us anything less. There is nothing else to be done and there is nothing lacking in Jesus. Paul goes on to explain how Christians have been brought into fullness in Jesus. Paul from verse 11 brings up uh, circumcision. Now you might be thinking, why does Paul bring up circumcision? It's a medical practice that we have in modern day, but what did it mean back then? Well, in the Old Testament, God instructed the Israelites that they must circumcise all their males as a sign that the Israelites are in fact God's people. So circumcision essentially was a sign that Israel had union with God. And Paul says that all who have put their faith in Jesus have been circumcised. Not one of physical means, but a spiritual, a spiritual circumcision that deeply unites us with God. Paul says that Christians have been circumcised in Jesus, having the flesh put off through his death and resurrection. You see, in Jesus' death and resurrection, Christians are declared God's people and are brought into perfect relationship with him. Because in his death, our sin, our wrongdoing, our legal indebtedness that condemned us before God was nailed on the cross with Jesus. And having paid for it all, he makes us whiter than snow. You see, in Christ, in Jesus, we are so deeply connected with him that we spiritually share in his death. We are so deeply connected with Jesus that we spiritually share in his resurrection. We are so deeply connected with Jesus that we physically and spiritually share in all the benefits of his life, death, and resurrection. You see, our relationship with God is not based on what we do, how we feel, or what we say. The truth that Paul wants to drive home is that Jesus is sufficient and supreme over all things and that there is no place other than him where we meet God to the full. But why is Paul so firm on this? Like Paul already mentioned earlier, it was because of this threat of false teaching where Christians were mixing legalism and mysticism together and ultimately undermining Jesus. 
from verses 16 to 23, Paul actually calls out both strands of teaching. So Paul firstly calls out legalism. He, Christians, were saying that Jesus' death and resurrection is not enough, but instead Christians must follow and observe Jewish and religious routines like the Sabbath. Now, if you're a Jewish Christian back then, you may be thinking, what's wrong with Jewish festivals and the Sabbath? They were actually all instituted by God. They were instructed by God. But even though that God had instructed all these for himself, the truth is that they were only ever to be a shadow of what is to come. These festivals and the Sabbath were very simple, uh, very simply ways for the Israelites to be reminded of their relationship with God. But unlike how a shadow only shows the silhouette of the real thing, in Jesus we see the full image of all that the festivals and the Sabbath were set out to be uh, set out to do, fulfilled. So Paul writes to not let anyone judge whether these festivals or the Sabbath was observed because it is not Jesus plus more that brings us into a relationship with God, but it's Jesus alone. Paul continues his thoughts down in verse 23 and says that since you have been set free from all of this, or in Paul's word, since you have died with Christ, why would you want to be captured by legalism once again? In Christ, we have been brought into fullness. We have been uh, in a perfect relationship with God. So why follow rules that preach that Jesus is inadequate? Although these things may look wise, even though they may seem godly, ironically, they are nothing but foolish and futile. Verse 23. Such regulations indeed have appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack anything or any value in restraining sensual indulgences. You see, religious legalism has no part of the Christian faith because legalism says that Jesus is inadequate to have a full, perfect relationship with God. But although we may not be in danger of buying into Jewish legalism here in the 21st century, I believe that Christian legalism is a deathly threat that is choking out the church today. Just like how Jewish festivals and observing the Sabbath has roots in its scriptures, Christian legalism turns what are good practices into Jesus plus more. Now, please hear me carefully on this. I'm not saying that we need to ditch any Christian discipline. I truly believe that as a church, we need to strive and contend harder to be reading our Bibles, coming to church, and being deeply committed in prayer. But these things ultimately don't make us Christians. These things is going to grow us. It's going to mature us in the faith. But these things are not the things that bring us into fullness with God. So don't judge yourself or don't let other people judge you when you're struggling to read your Bible or come to church or even be committed in prayer. Don't think for one moment that God doesn't love you because you're not doing what other Christians are supposedly doing. 
Don't let legalism become something that drives you away from God, thinking that you can only be closer to God if you are more uh, being able to bring order into your life. You see, God is not a cosmic policeman. He's not readied with his handcuffs to arrest us when we slip up. But instead, wherever we may be, where, whether life is a mess or whether life is going great, we can come to God in confidence because Jesus has already brought us into that fullness. After having confronted the threat of legalism, Paul confronts Gnostic mysticism, and in particular this idea of angel worship. Now Paul here isn't talking about Christians bowing down to angels, but instead Paul is calling out people who would instill and observe with great detail these practices that would supposedly prepare them to be in the right space of work to worship and worship alongside the angels. They believe that it was only when they were able to experience such event that they would experience God in full. And in turn, Christians who did not follow these practices, they would say were not Christians at all. But ironically, even though these people seem to know what they were doing, they are just people who don't know what they were doing at all. These Christians were so fixated on following certain details of their lives that would prepare them to worship God that they were walking with their chest puffed up, acting pompous and big because they thought they knew best. But Paul goes on and writes maybe one of his most devastating critique of all his letters. Verse 19, Paul writes this. They have lost connection with the head. From whom, the whole body, uh, from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. You see, not only did these people not know what they were doing, not only were they not spiritual, Paul says that they were not Christians at all. Because they were so fixated, fixated on getting what getting into the right state of mind to worship God, the reality is that they lost sight of who Jesus is and what he has done and have undermined Jesus' death and resurrection as a whole. And like legalism, it's also a threat to us today, this idea of mysticism. In our culture, with countless amounts of podcasts and new schools of thoughts, that talk into uh, specific areas of our postmodern culture, things that can be helpful for us in giving us tools to uh, live our everyday life here. For example, to be more productive or to get better sleep or to be more physically healthy are skewed and mixed into the Christian faith. I believe it's so easy for us to import human wisdom into our faith and make it gospel. It's so easy for us to be fixated on the details of our lives, like making sure we're in the right environment or being in the right state of mind or having done A, B, and C so that we can experience, have this fuller experience with God. Now, like I said before, these things can be helpful, 
I personally find it helpful to journal down my thoughts before I pray and read the Bible. It helps me settle down my thoughts and concentrate. But the truth is I would often say to myself that if I don't journal, I won't be able to have this fuller experience with God. And if I'm not careful with these things, these things can easily become thoughts about, uh, can actually easily yeah, become things that actually feed into my thoughts about inadequacy or even begin to threaten my security in the faith, saying that Jesus' death and resurrection is not enough. You see, Paul is reminding us to not let anyone, including ourselves, to say that we are inadequate to experience God in full. Just because we don't observe certain things or have these supernatural experiences, because in Jesus' death and resurrection, he has brought us into fullness. You see, this type of thinking, whether it be legalism or being in the hunt for these supernatural experiences, ultimately undermine our security as Christians that we have in Jesus. The truth that we must never forget is Jesus is adequate and he is sufficient and has done everything we need to experience God to the full. Regardless of what experience we may or may not have, the fact remains that we are in Christ and nothing is going to change that. Our relationship with God is not earned by our efforts but it's granted to us in Jesus' death on the cross on our behalf. So we don't have to think that we must do this or be in this type of state of mind before we approach him. But how is it that we are not captured by all of these fine-sounding and deceptive arguments? The reality is that legalism and uh, the hunt for supernatural experiences in our experience may not be as blatant as back in the first century. It comes in different forms and it comes in different ways. And because of that, the truth is that it can be hard to pick up. And if we're not careful, things that may have been be good practices can quickly turn into futile, deceptive, hollow philosophies that choke us and preach that Christ is not enough. So how do we combat this reality? Well, the way that we can see to it, to make sure, to make it our mission to not be deceived, really comes back to Paul's instructions back in verse 6. So then, just as you have received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. You see, we firstly need to receive Jesus as Lord. And then we need to make it our mission to walk in Jesus, to be rooted like a tree, be built up like a skyscraper in him and let Jesus strengthen every aspect of our lives. And I truly believe the best way for us to do this is to meet God where God has revealed himself to be in his son, Jesus Christ. At our big day out, we saw a deep yearning as a church to strive and contend harder to be reading our Bibles and being deeply committed in prayer for not only ourselves, 
not only the community, but also for our faith. And this isn't because this makes us Christians, but this is how we learn. This is how we're strengthened, become rooted and being built up in the faith so that we can continue to walk in Christ till the end. You see, the Apostle John, in the Gospel of John, reveals to us that Jesus is the Word. And we have that Word available to us in the Bible. Everything we need to know about God, everything we need to be brought into fullness, is all revealed to us in the Bible. The Bible is our weapon. It is what will root us down in Christ and it is what is going to strengthen us and make us last till the end. Because ultimately the Bible is the place where we get to see in full who and what Jesus has done and achieved on the cross. You see, the Christian faith is not Jesus plus more. The Christian faith is Jesus alone. Jesus is enough. He is supreme and he is sufficient. And in him, we are brought into fullness with him. And nothing is going to take that away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus, we are brought into fullness. We thank you that our security is founded in his death and resurrection and nothing can take it away. So we pray that we do not be deceived by anyone who preaches that we must do more and undermine the supremacy and sufficiency of him. So we pray that you root us down and you build us up in Jesus so that we will not be shaken and being taken captive by hollow, deceptive teachings. Amen.